Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Relationship Lounge presents Reveal and Heal. You know, you can't heal unless you reveal. I'm Coach Dan. I want to welcome you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Reveal and Heal Motivation Monday. I have an amazing guest today, Raquel McGee. Some of you may know her. You know, she, of course, lived in Cartersville for some time, and she lives in Atlanta now, and she's a lawyer. I'm so excited about this interview. There's so much that she's going to share. So go ahead and tag your friends. Go ahead and tag your neighbors. Tag all your Facebook friends and let them know that we are going to give you a motivation word that's going to get you throughout your day. So you don't want to miss this. You don't want to miss this. So we want you to go ahead and tag everybody that you know so that you can be a part of the conversation. You know, the theme today is justice for me is justice for you. And I believe that Raquel is the right person to be able to communicate, communicate that to you today. If there's someone that's in need of an encouraging word, please stand by. Stand by. You want to be a part of this conversation. Okay? At this time, y'all put your hands together and welcome Raquel. Raquel. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you today? I'm very well, and I'm so glad to have you. Thank you for saying yes to this interview. Glad to be um, here. I believe that you have a word that's going to encourage, that's going to motivate and inspire so many people. I want you to take your liberty this morning. You know, Reveal and Heal is a platform for you to share, you know, places where you come from that very well could have been a place where you was like, you know what? I'm going to keep that to myself. I think it's my business and my business alone. But I believe when purpose is in you, when God heals or delivers or brings you out of a situation and you are victorious, you're supposed to share so that other people can be inspired and motivated. Do you agree? I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, for sure. Well, at this time, please go ahead and tell us a little bit about you. Who is Raquel McGee? Who is Raquel McGee? I, um, well, I'm currently a lawyer, but you know, we want to go back a little further. I, I was born in Chicago uh, and I was raised by my grandparents. And um, when I was about 13 years old, my grandparents decided that they were going to retire and move to Georgia. And of all the cities, they picked Cartersville. <laughs> and so they ended up in Cartersville and uh, given the circumstances surrounding my parents um, who weren't married, I ended up coming to Cartersville as well. I, I stayed a year, an extra year in Chicago while they were here, and, well, while they were in Cartersville. And I think my mom realized it made more sense for me to, to, to go where they were. Um, they were just a little bit more stable. And, you know, that, that just made sense. So, you know, I, I grew up, I grew up in a very, very religious home. Um, Pentecostal, grew up Pentecostal, apostolic Pentecostal. And every morning is prayer and bless oil on your head. But, you know, those things are what has carried me from a very young age. So I don't do much of anything without God, without prayer, without faith. All of that has played a huge role in every bit of success I've ever had. Um, so, you know, I went to car moved to Cartersville at 13 and then um, attended Cass Middle, Cass High School, and um, went to went to college, played basketball, and the rest is history. Honestly, I went moved back to Chicago after undergrad, 
and uh, received my master's in forensic psychology. And so what, what happened is I, I received my undergraduate degree in, in psychology and my master's in forensic psychology. And my whole premise for uh, pursuing that type of degree is because I wanted to help people. I'm, in addition to the, the spiritual grounding that was in my home, my grandmother was a crusader. She was a missionary and she was, if she, she had outreaches in Chicago on Saturday, giving out food and, and canned food and clothing. And as a little girl, I watched that. I watched that. And the people always say, you know, children are watching or they're listening. And that's true. That's true. And so she set the tone for how I wanted to give back to others. Um, so received my, you know, pursued by psychology because I wanted to help people mentally and emotionally. I saw, I witnessed my grandma receive phone calls at night or in the middle of the night or people come over with emotional problems and just, just at their bottom and she'll take them in and she'll talk to them, she'll pray for them and she'll offer guidance and it will change people's lives. It changed people's lives and I realized I could change people's lives as well. And so that's how I pursued it. I say I uh, received my master's and entered the criminal justice field. And there I was doing a lot of assessments and hearing the stories of so many people. I'm saying, you wonder how people get to certain places and you hear how they grew up and you hear the type of people who influenced them and you realize they never had a chance. And it, it, that kind of broke my heart. That broke my heart and I started realizing how the system didn't give these people a chance either. So how do you start with someone who never had a chance before they were born and then they're out here trying to make it and then you can't even give them a chance. So I would do what's called alternative sentencing and mitigation work. And I would pretty much plead with the judge. I would write court mitigation reports and I would testify in court and say, judge, this is this person's story. This person has a story. This person, whether it was abuse, a lot of them had so many abuse stories. And you say, judge, let's pretty much give them some, have mercy on them. Now we know who the only person, only individual who can have mercy on someone. The ultimate person is God, but you want God to shine light on some of these judges and these prosecutors to give people another chance. So that was that was my role. And then I started seeing how politics played and law, the law played with people's lives. And um, I was like, I wanna be in law. I wanna affect change with policy. And I wanna get in here and write some of these laws that can help families and some of these laws who that can help these people who get who are charged with first time uh, felonies or misdemeanors. How can we create programs and policy to help them, to help them and to give them a chance? And went to law school and here I am now, <laughs> here I am now. So, I, I mean, honestly, my whole purpose is to find out how I can help and give back to people. The voiceless, the marginalized, the underserved, the underrepresented, like that is my purpose. That's who I am. Love it. Oh, my God. And you know something? I have the pleasure and the honor of knowing your grandmother. She was some kind of woman. You know, I know you mentioned uh, off camera that moving to Cartersville was a culture shock for you. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I attended school with all Black, honestly, Black children, Black teachers, Black principal. Everybody was Black. Um, and my neighborhood, it's just the area, everything was, and so when I moved to Cartersville, I went from the majority to the minority and to the small minority. And I had to learn very quickly how to adjust. 
And people always say, oh, there aren't any differences. You know, we're all the same, but we aren't the same because you have to think about culture and the role culture plays in things. And I remember when I moved here, there were a lot of misconceptions that a lot of teachers had about me. And I, I, I would go home and question to ask my grandma, like, why, why do they have such low expectations of me? And, and it, was, it was really interesting. They, they didn't know, they just knew I was new. And I haven't had an experience actually where um, I moved here my first year and they put me in the gateway program, which was a math program and um, a special math program or something. And the, the teacher, when I, when I was sitting in there, walked in and said, are you in the right class? What's your name? And I told her my name and I was like, well, this is what the principal told me. This is the math class. I, I, today's my first day and this is my math class. She was like, this can't be your math class. And I said, okay, um, I don't know where to go. I'm young, I'm a 13 year old. And I said, well, this is, where do I go? She said, well, we're gonna have to find out how to, how to put you in the right class. I was the only, there were, I think it was about 10, 10 students in there. I was the only little black girl in there. This teacher didn't even know me, but she assumed that I didn't belong in that class because maybe she hadn't taught at that point. I don't know if she was new or what. Maybe she hadn't taught a student in that particular class who looked like me. And that, that really bothered me. And I went home and talked to my grandma and of course she called the school because I never finished that day in that class. She, they had me in that principal's office trying to figure out where do I go? And then when the principal finally came, the class was over and he told the teacher she was supposed to be in there. And, but at that point, my grandma said, no, she won't be in the, with that teacher. So I was just put in another math class. But those are the small things because it's not just about my experience but it's about how people's experiences shape how they treated me coming here as a, a minority where I'm used to being thrown in. And it's, it's all about your competency, whatever you can offer in Chicago, because we all looked alike. So we're on the same, same level, same level playing, same playing field. But here it was just, you have to prove yourself a little bit. And you know, that just fits in with the question that I was going to ask you about any little injustices through the eyes of a child that you possibly witnessed. And you were in that, you were a part of that. And at 13 years old, you were still mature enough to understand that you weren't being treated fair. And that their perception of you was, forget about her being smart and being in a group of the, the, the majority here, which was, which is another race, you know, and you're like, wait a minute. It just didn't make sense to you, right? Right, right. And I was already uncomfortable because I wasn't accustomed to just being around, you know, people who didn't look like me in that setting. And so when she did that, it just added another layer. And I just felt like I'm not wanted. You know, I, didn't, I was like, I don't want to be here. Can I go back to Chicago? Uh, so, you know, and I had another experience in high school. And uh, this was, I think, when I was a senior. And they did the senior superlatives. And I remember speak, talking to my grandma and saying, you know, well, I hope I get, you know, like best all around or, you know, most likely to succeed or something like that. Because although I did pretty well, I excelled in, in sports. I was a four sport athlete in high school and I did well, but I also was in the top 10 of my class. And so I would think best all around made sense or something. And the class voted me for most athletic. And that did something to me too. And I, I never talk about that. But it was as if they only saw me for athletic. And, and that happens a lot to, to honestly, African-Americans. 
They, they, they we're, we're viewed as athletes or the talent and nobody takes a second guess or nobody thinks about what we can contribute intellectually, what we can contribute emotionally. And the, the other things that we, other ways we can contribute and, um, and, and, it, and it show people automatically count you out a lot of times if you, if you can offer sports or talent, quote unquote talent. And um, I, re I just remember that one as well, pretty vividly. Did you find that the conditioned thinking of the adults for people that were natives uh, to the area, or to this community, as far as, you know, the Bartow County area, you know, just Cartersville or Georgia in, in general, did you find that the conditioned thinking of the parents or in, uh, individuals, they were like, okay with it? Did you ever recognize there were anybody with some fight in them that just did not agree with it and said, you know what, we got to make some changes around here. We just got to do better. We can't allow them to just, you know, place us in where they think we need to be. I didn't see that. I didn't see that growing up. What I saw um, were the, the, the teachers, black teachers like Ms. Johnson, Coach Kennedy, who would take us in. We had like the group called Cultural Heritage. And it was a place where honestly the black children could feel safe at the school, where we kind of celebrated each other and you didn't have to hide kind of who you are so you wouldn't, you know, to avoid being judged or treated a certain way. And, and it was just normal. And we're just, we're talking the early 2000s here. Um, and I found myself being accepted amongst people, who did, amongst people of other races. So, you know, white, white people. Uh, and I, and, but it was accepted as the exception. And I didn't like that. I never liked that because I don't want people to collectively look at people who look like me and say, oh, they're all like this, but you're the exception. And so I used to always, I used to find myself always throwing in something that somebody else who looked like me could do or did. And I was like, well, if somebody's gonna speak, I should be the one to say, well, so-and-so is pretty smart and they did X, Y, Z because they just, they counted us out a lot. We were counted out and I, I, I witnessed a lot of my friends and, and classmates at that majority, you know, white school get treated differently. And, and I didn't, I didn't like it, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I could do. And I'm so glad that I'm now in a position where if I see something, I can say something and do something, you know? So I'm appreciative of that. So what was it that, can you, can you kind of admit that moving away from, you know, Cartersville, moving into Atlanta, was was that like a, a start for change? I think that moving away from Cartersville to Atlanta was a start for growth. So um, I think that in order to, sometimes in order to give back or in order to make a change somewhere, you got to get up out of there. And that's in anything in life. You got to sometimes get up out of whatever you're in. Amen. And come back to it, to make it, to, to make it work or to fix it. You know, um, the, you know, for example, the, the Cartersville 70, what it was, was coined. I wasn't living in Cartersville, but that doesn't mean I don't give back to where I came from. Okay. I had the tools, I had the resources. So I think that you have to sometimes venture out to acquire the tools, to acquire the resources, to acquire the network, so that you can make those tools, resources, and network work in areas where they aren't available, readily available. So, and I wish more people did that who come from small areas and small towns because they're needed 
no matter how far away you go, you need to contribute if you have gone and learned some things, gone away and learned some stuff. Well, it makes sense. You know, Jesus wasn't received by his own. You know, sometimes you have to go away and make a difference, you know, and then come back, as, you know, as you stated. But you stay connected, right? You stay connected with uh, the community. Is, I did. is that right? I did. I stay connected. Um, a lot of the people, you know, I went to school with, like Trey Benham, for example, you know, he's doing a, a lot of great things in Cartersville, um, especially with the young Democrats there. And I, I'm in constant communication with Trey. Uh, Aaron Jones, who's there in Cartersville, who does a lot of things on the mental health side. So uh, I'm in contact, Armand knows a lot of people, and I talk to them on a routine basis to know what's going on, know if there's a, something I need to help with. Uh, my mom still lives there. So, you know, visit, see what's going on. And, and I, I make sure I stay connected and keep my ear to the streets and make sure Cartersville Street knows people right, especially the people who look like me. Absolutely. And you know what? I commend you for doing so because there are many times people are like, well, I've had it. You know, I'm not going to continue to be a part of a suppressed community. Don't nobody want to talk. Don't nobody want to lead. Don't nobody want to, you know, uh, make a difference. You can't fight solo. You know, teamwork makes your dream work. But when you stay connected, you know, even if it's a handful of people that's doing some things, and when you move away and you stay connected with the people that are working and doing some things, then guess what? There's some great things that can happen. Tell, tell uh, me about, and everyone that's listening, especially for the people that are not familiar about the situation where you were active in that role. Um, the, the, Cartersville, the Cartersville 70 case? Yes, yes. Well, what, what happened was <laughs> there was a, it was over the, the, the Christmas break, in a sense, right after the new year. And um, there was a party they, that a recent graduate had thrown. And there were some college students, some first year college students who had come back home for the holiday. There were some seniors in high school and from Cartersville there. Everyone like what kids do. It was the same thing we did when I was there, a senior in high school. You have a party, we're all together. Um, there was less than one ounce of marijuana in the house, right? And 70, it was, it, was, it was 68 actually, 68 young people happened to be in that house and the Cartersville Police Department with the drugs, Bartow County Drug Task Force, which consists of city police and sheriff's office individuals decided they were gonna arrest each and every one of those people, those young people for less than an ounce of marijuana. Now, anyone who knows law knows there's no, you can't constructively in a, in a legal term constructively possess less than an ounce of marijuana among 68 people. 68 people can't do that. There's no way they can do that. Um, so they, and I think that was a way that the drug, drug task force thought that, that they could get over. And there's no telling how many times they've done things similar to that before and no one did anything. So these kids, you know, they were arrested. I'm gonna call them kids because if you're under, you're tw under 21, you're a kid to me. Um, and you know, you had 17 year old, 18, 19, 20, uh, 21. I was sitting here at home watching TV here in Atlanta. And I saw they put these kids out there like they were hardcore criminals, mug shots. And it was just lined up all, all the, the mug shots and big drug bust in Cartersville. And I was like, what? I know I coached that girl. I know his, his cousins. I went to school with his cousins. And it really hurt me because a lot of them were really good kids. And I knew that they were either in college. One was in the Air Force. And I said, no, 
uh-uh. That night, I sent Trey Benham a message. I said, what is going on? And he said, look, actually, let me call the mom whose daughter was throwing a party. I said, well, I'm going to help. I'm about to reach out to people right now. That night, I sent a message to Gerald, Gerald who's a friend of mine, who's a really good social justice attorney. And he also um, was, the at the time, the vice president of the NAACP of Georgia. And Gerald jumped on it. Gerald said, well, we called Taisha Fernandez. She was in Cartersville the next morning. And we, we tried to talk to Rosemary Green, the district attorney. She didn't want to talk. And then she realized, oh, shoot, this is on, in the AJC. This is on the news. This is everywhere. Um, we, we did the GoFundMe. We got out the last kids who were in there who couldn't get out. And um, had a meeting with Rosemary Green, the district attorney there in Bartow County, and told her, you know, this isn't right. You can't legally do this. And she dropped all those charges. And I had, and let me tell you about the mobilization for that. And this is why it's so important when I, we talk about network. Okay. When I reached out to Gerald, Gerald reached out to attorneys he knew. We were on a call with 35 plus attorneys in the Atlanta and surrounding metro area that were willing to represent each and every one of those kids. We wanted one attorney for each kid and we actually have really gotten it to at least two attorneys. I mean, two kids to each attorney for free. Oh, right. Willing to help these kids. And, and we were on the phone. They were like, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to push it. And Rosemary Green realized, oh, wait, that's too heavy. That's too much. Let's just drop the charges. And that's why it's so important to mobilize. And it's so important to network. And it's so important to speak up when you see injustices. Me. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That, that's, that's what I'm talking about right there. Community, village. Mm -hmm. And you not living here, but not forgetting where you came from, not forgetting your people. You got all that together by paying attention to what's going on in the community. Right. Not, you know, you didn't have to live here, just but you're still paying attention right. to don't what's going on with the people that you love. Exactly. 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 So with these children, did anybody lose their jobs? What about the one that was in the military? I know, actually, <laughs> in school. What happened? What 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 happened? Um, so many different things happened. A lot of a lot of them lost their jobs. We wrote letters for a good amount of them. The, the, the young man who happened to be in the Air Force, I had a friend who was pretty high ranking, who was an attorney for the JAG, Army JAG, who knew someone in Texas where this young boy was and kind of reached out to him and to his commander and they worked that out. So he was okay with that, um, but he was in trouble. He was in trouble. He, he was almost gonna be done. And um, some, of the, some people lost their jobs or they were able to get jobs, you know, get jobs or get new jobs. They gave some of them, the kids, felonies, saying they had drugs and brought them into the jail. It, 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 was, it was a mess. But yeah, there, there were some losses. There were some losses, and, and, not, and I'm going to say the, people who, the, the young people who had jobs in Cartersville, they weren't, as, they weren't happy. The people in Cartersville weren't happy about that situation. I'm saying they weren't happy that those, that those young people's charges were dismissed. And I heard it, too, because... I got a brunt of it because I got a lot of messages in my inbox from people who were in Cartersville saying, you Atlanta people need to stay out of Cartersville people's business. And who is she? She's not even from here. It was, oh, and, and messages like you, I, I was called some names and I couldn't believe it. But the true colors, of, uh, to, to, to know that there are people in Cartersville who want people to go down 
And those are people they don't even know. And their, their lives don't even affect you. But yet you want them to be destroyed. I just could not, I can't grasp that concept that there were people in Carterville who literally thought like that and were upset that these charges were dropped against these, these young children for less than an ounce of marijuana. Marijuana, which is legal in a lot of states in this country. So it was very interesting. It's very interesting. So it was an eye-opening situation, huh? Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, for a lot of people. We're currently still in lawsuit, uh, still in our, we've sued the city of Cartersville, by the way, um, had the Southern Center for Human Rights take it up. Uh, and we are in the federal district up in Rome. And of course, COVID kind of put everything on a hold, but we aren't done. What role did the NAACP play in it in uh, local, you know, uh, groups? Yes. You know, did everybody come together you know, to help rectify the situation? Yes. Um, Dexter, what is Dexter's last name? Jones. No, no, not Dexter Jones. Dexter, uh, he's he's like vice president of the NAACP right now. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, Dexter, I think it starts with a B. Um, and then also Pastor Kuhn. They were at the time president and vice president, I believe, of the NAACP. And I had spoken to both of them. They came to meetings, we talked. They were very involved and it was so good to know that you not only had the NAACP local chapter in Bartow County speaking up, but to know that a clergyman, a pastor in Bartow County actually served as you know in the executive board role of the NAACP in Bartow County. So I loved to see that and to know that they were still going to bat, they were going to bat for these kids. And they, they were meeting with us, phone calls, they did interviews. They did whatever they could. So the local chapter stepped up in, Bar in Bartow County in that situation. And I was happy to see it. Well, you know what, that, that is great news. And I'm sure that, you know, the travesty of this situation, my prayer is that it has inspired and motivated a lot of the people, you know, that witnessed it, you know, students that were involved in it, you know, whatever the case may be, that they, that they take this lesson and you know, step it up just like you have done, you know, by uh, experiencing certain things, you know, uh, in school yourself, where it's like, you know, you don't want to be perceived as, you know, the exception mm -hmm. or, you know, different. You want it to make a difference, right. a difference. So uh, my prayer is that the young people uh, involved, that they, it has been, you know, uh, 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 something to inspire them and not cause them to be bewildered, you know, and give up. You, you know what I'm saying? And just throw their hands up in the air and say, well, you know what, this is just the way they're going to always treat us. And that happens. That's not what we need, Raquel. No, it's not. It's not. And you want to know, you want to know why it was so important, uh, Coach Deb, for me to step in. A lot of them had never been arrested and had no record. Oh, and wow. in my previous career, before I became a lawyer, I saw, saw so many individuals, all it took was one charge. And their whole, that was it. One charge, one conviction, and it, their whole life changed. Wow. And they got wrapped up in the system. And I didn't want these young kids to get wrapped up in the system because they'll grab them and they'll keep them there because it's a stain. There's a stain, especially when you're, especially when you're a minority. There's a stain on you in a criminal justice system if you have a criminal history. And you have to work so much harder and you have to prove yourself so much more. 
And a lot of times people don't want to fight, don't want to fight like that. No. Why do I have to do this because of a mistake I made when I was 17, when I was 18? It's not fair. And it's not fair. It really isn't fair. So um, that's that was why I didn't want those kids to have a stain on their record that that could affect them for generations and decades to come. Do you have like a um, mentor type program or a group in which you're actually hands-on with uh, young people that have that stain on no, their record? Actually, I don't, but I've maintained some individual mentor-like relationships uh, with some of the, the young ladies that were involved in, that, in the car. And I check on a lot of them too when I see them on Facebook, but I also have... I more so have a, a mentor, a mentoring relationship with young girls who are aspiring lawyers or aspiring mm -hmm. clinicians, and I, I definitely work with them frequently. On you know whether it's helping them study for the LSAT or you know helping them f fill out their application. So you know, I, but I, I'm always open. I'm always open to those things. And so when whenever one of those, especially one of the the young uh, kids, young adults now from the Cartersville 70 situation, reach out to me. I always, I always make myself available and see what I can do that, how I can help them or just help them, what is emotional or whatever. I, I, I've made myself available multiple times. How serious is it uh, when something like this happens, you know, this huge mistake, how serious is it when it comes to the young people trying to get in college? Mm, yeah. Colleges aren't playing anymore. Um, and so it's when I say it's the same as Deb, it's a it's a step, it's a stain. And these colleges, they they have that zero tolerance policy, especially when we talk about colleges in the South. And a lot of, especially Georgia residents and students who want to attend college in Georgia, because it, it costs less, that's in-state tuition, sometimes they may have to venture out and go to college in another state that's more willing to accept them with this stain on their record. Right, right. It's so, it, it really can set the tone for the rest of your life, if you think about it. Because if you're denied a certain type of education in a convenient way, in the area that's near you, now you're having to, to reevaluate how you can obtain education. And not everyone's able to do that because of the convenience factor. So, um, uh, a small criminal stain or criminal um, charge or conviction can really set the tone for the rest of your life. And I don't want that to be a thing. I, don't I totally that. agree. Yeah. I totally agree. In my mind, I'm thinking, you know, it could even change the whole trajectory when it comes to their major, you know, where they just stuck with dealing with a trade versus, you know, doing something where they can make a huge difference. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, I also... I want people, I want a lot of them to know that they don't have to, we place a huge emphasis on college degrees and things, but there, there are opportunities with trades as well. But, right. you know, a lot of times things are shunned in our community. Okay. You know, and, and so there's still a way, like they say, you can work it out. <laughs> there's still a way, but to, to make, to make an imp, to make a change or have an impact and make money or be successful even if you do have a stain, because I, I don't want anyone to be disheartened or um, I don't want them to feel like they, they this is it, this is it, and, and uh, my life has just changed and give up because I saw that a lot too, because it can affect you mentally. 
can affect you mentally and emotionally to where you is what we call learn helplessness to where you're like, well, I'm helpless. There's nothing that can, that's going to work for me. So now I'm going to go do this, commit this other crime because what? Why not? there's nothing else I can do. There's there no college wants to take me. No job wants to hire me. I'm already, especially in the black community, I already am honestly two steps behind or already have two strikes in a sense. And now you put the stain on me and it's almost like the member of the book was with the scarlet letter when the lady yeah. walks around with the scarlet, like it's, it's, it follows you everywhere you go and everyone yeah. leaves and everyone treats you a certain way because of it. So um, I, I, I won a lot of, there's a program in Atlanta and I don't know where your viewers and where they, they, um, where they reside, but it's called Let Us Make Man. And it's a wonderful program for young men and it's, professional black men from all over Atlanta and the metro area. And they teach these young men, no matter where, what their backgrounds are, how to become the successful, successful in their own right. Oh, wow. And that's important. And I'm saying from fatherhood, because you have members who are fathers, young fathers, or if you don't have a college education, a trade, you know, it's how to wear a suit, how to tie a tie. Like they're the mentors that a lot of these um, young men need, especially if they have a small stain. They're wearing a small stain. So a Let Us Make Man is a Let Us Make Men is a really good program. And I think we need more opportunities for, for people who have had, had some setbacks. We need more people that are willing to step in and reach in and say, look, let me let me carry you a little bit or let me hold your hand a little bit and, and walk you along this and give you some resources so that you can go out on your own and feel okay with, with that. This is great. Now that this is this is this is great. So this you know, before we close out, I want you to share. I want you to make sure that a number, a link, okay. a name, or something. As a matter of fact, just go ahead and put it out there again for those that are listening, uh, um, so that they will have access to that information. Uh, Raquel. Yeah. Um. It's called Let Us Make Man. And um, honestly, so you can Google that. Let us make man, and it comes right up. It says Atlanta, Georgia. The website is letusmakeman.net. Let us make man. And everything is there. They even have a Facebook page as well. Okay. Well, this is, this is so enlightening. And, you know, before we close, I, I think it's so very important that people understand that you are a voice uh for the voiceless and i really love the fact that you are using this gift that god has given you to make a difference in the lives of so many others you didn't forget about the little person you didn't forget about you know uh the the innocent you know and sometimes you can be guilty about association Yes. And you wear that stain as well. Yeah. So uh, before we close, I just want you to speak to, you know, anyone that's listening right now, you know, and they're just needing for uh, someone to speak to that low place. You know, you may have made mistakes. You know, we all do. But you get up, get up, because you can still make a difference and you can still uh, change some things. Speak to whomever that may be. It may be a female or a male, but you are a voice 
for the bosses. And I was actually yeah. having a conversation with someone yesterday and the word is purpose. If you don't forget your purpose, nothing can stop you. And so, you know, a lot of people look at me and always say, you know, well, everything's come easy or they don't know my story. So it's, you know, everything has come easy or, you know, you never had to struggle when it comes to academics or when it comes to resources and everything. And people need to understand that everyone has deals with and has struggled with their own problems. And what you, what you need to make sure you do is whenever you reach a low point, I've had low points, I've had many low points, you don't forget your purpose. It's in your purpose that you can come up out of those low points. Because it, I, they're that old, keep your eyes on the prize and hold on. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the purpose is you got to have something to keep you going. And a lot of people fall by the wayside or they, they, they become victim to their circumstances because they lose their purpose. So speaking to young man, any young man out there, young man out there, young woman out there, find a purpose. Really sit with yourself, really sit and think about what, what's important to you, what drives you, what do you want to change in the world, what do you want to see different, whether it's people who look like you or another group. Just find your passion, find out what that looks like, and, and write it out. Write out what that looks like, visualize it if you don't want to write it out, and let that drive, be your driving force. And everything you do, pursue it with that purpose and that passion in mind, because then you, you're unstoppable. You're unstoppable because you have a goal and your life every day should be moving forward. You're going to have some bumps. You're going to have some, some dips, some valleys. You're going to have some highs, some lows, but you have to keep moving forward. Whatever you do, move forward. And I know people say it's easier said than done. And I always, I, I, I always use spirituality. My faith keeps me grounded. My yeah. faith always kept me grounded in my low points and uh, there are people who don't have, you know, a, a higher being or a divine person they believe in. And I think those are the ones who you have to really look at your purpose. Why are you here? Because we're all here for a reason. That's right. We're all here for a reason. And the thing is finding your purpose. Some people leave this earth and never know, never knew what their purpose was. And find your purpose and you can, and you can get where, you need, where you're trying to go. You can get there if you move towards it. That is beautiful and well said. I want to thank you so much for um, gracing the platform this morning and blessing us all, those of us that are listening this morning, truly encouraging and truly inspiring. I'm so proud of you, you know, doing what you're doing and, and keep it up. Continue to be your best. Monday morning's quote is, the dead cannot cry for justice. It is a duty of the living to do so for them. That's true, Ms. Dad. And you know what? That is a duty indeed. We are commissioned. We are commissioned to be the voice for the silent. No matter the circum, no matter your um, occupation, no matter your statue, you have to stand up for what's right. You have to. That's it. You have to. You know what? You can't heal unless you reveal. Remember to, uh, you know, all outlets, 
All podcast outlets, we're there, Revealing Heal. We want you to make sure that you reach out to those. We're also on um, YouTube. I'm Coach Deb. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Remember to love yourself, love everybody, and be an example. Thank you, Raquel. God bless you, darling. Have an amazing day.